All right, here we go. Week two of the From the Booth podcast. We are off and running. My name is Cody Clark. My co-host, his name is Evan Eichen. Evan, uh, last week I think you were dealing with some rain and some storms. Have we at least improved the weather for you here in the second week of the podcast? Uh, yes, yes, we have. Uh, if you had called us about three hours ago, uh, we had a thunderstorm at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'd like to take a moment and apologize for the tin can audio last week. I uh, lost the cord to my USB mic and I couldn't find a replacement in time, so I was just running off of the the speakers that come with the laptop. But thankfully, I was able to get a replacement cord, and hopefully I sound a lot better uh, this week no, and I, in, the, in the weeks going forward. There we go. Absolutely. No, you sound a lot better. Uh, we've got a ton to get to, so let's dive into it. Uh, right off the top, we have we have a college football panic button segment, and this is something that we were going to try and squeak in in week one uh, with last week's episode. We were not able to get there. We had a ton to talk about with the Antonio Brown uh, unpacking all of that and just had a, a lot to get to. So we, we didn't get there last week. We're going to start at the top this week because Evan has a rant on Florida State. Uh, we're going to look at USC, UCLA, uh, potentially Tennessee, Miami. A lot of these blue blood programs have struggled to start this college football campaign. And Evan, one of those in particular is Willie Taggart and Florida State. And it's really been an uphill battle for him at FSU since Jimbo Fisher is gone. Uh, Jimbo Fisher took the Texas A&M job. Willie Taggart was hired after one season, one mediocre season at Oregon. He took over as the Florida State head coach. Why is it time to panic for the Florida State Seminoles with Willie Taggart at the helm? Well, um, I was going to make a point about losing to Boise State, but then the more I thought about it, it's like, you know, Boise State has been consistently a top 25 program over the last almost 20 years. So, Cody, did you know that the last time that Boise State did not spend at least one week in the top 25 was 2001? Wow, I would not have guessed that. They have spent at least one week in the top 25 since 2001, and that includes pre- and that includes preseason rankings. So, the Boise State loss, if I'm an if I'm a Florida State fan, I can swallow because they they can hold their own and they could beat a good chunk of the country. But when you need a missed extra point in overtime to beat Louisiana Monroe at home i think that's when you i think that's when you need to press that panic button because there was a day not that long ago where they would win that game something along the lines of like 64 to nothing like they gave up 40 points at home 40 plus points at home to louisiana monroe and they just dropped a game to virginia uh the the james blackman era isn't working their backup is Cody, I don't know how much Big Ten football you watched, but if you're familiar with the Wisconsin Badgers, the backup quarterback is grad transfer Alex Hornibrook, and I'm wondering why they haven't gone to him yet. Yeah, no, so, I, I think that's a move that they that they probably should have already made. That you make a good point there. I just, I was gonna, I was gonna rag on them for Florida State, but then the more I thought about it, it's like you know, I mean, for the Boise State loss, Boise State is. They are, I don't know if sneaky is the right word, but they are 
consistently one of the best programs over the last 20 years that I don't think gets enough credit for how good they've been with all the disadvantages of being in Boise, Idaho. No, yeah, Boise State's been a great program. We saw them burst onto the scene. You remember the, the uh, what was it, the Statue of Liberty play? You had Ian Johnson. I mean, we they are a very formidable program. Now, they've kind of passed the torch, I think, to UCF, to Utah, to some of these other schools. Um but yeah, I think you know Boise State, as you mentioned, was kind of that original, um, big time program slayer, if you will. You know, the team that uh, was able to compete against all of these big schools. And, and we're talking about the Florida State Seminoles and, and the difficulty they've had under Willie Taggart. I thought this would be, I thought this would be a decent hire. Now, if you you look back at Willie Taggart and he really got the he was the coach at Western Kentucky then he got the South Florida job he really got the Oregon job after going 10 and 2 in 2016 they were 8 and 5 at USF in 2015 so a good season there but he went 10 and 2 he didn't coach the bowl game in 2016 for South Florida he took the Oregon job he went 7 and 5 in his first year at Oregon and then when Jimbo Fisher left he took the Florida State job they went 5 and 7 in his first season last year and it was the first losing season since Bobby Bowden's first year that was 1976 so and their this, first missed bowl game since 1981 yeah so a common theme here things happening in his first year that Florida State Seminole football fans are not used to happening uh, and, and I think it's caught a lot of them by surprise, like, what the heck is going on here? Now, I will say this in defense of Willie Taggart, and there's there's different things you can look up. There's different places you can go. There were a lot of reports about cultural problems under Jimbo Fisher, so I think he's had a little bit of an uphill battle with that. Uh, the They have the worst situation in terms of uh, their academic progress rate last year was just six points away from not being able to compete in NCAA championships. They were dead last in power in the Power Five in 2017 and 2018. And that's kind of a situation that Willie Taggart inherits. That that in your first year is not something that, you know, I, I think those those habits are built before Taggart is able to get there. So I think he's had to deal with a lot at the helm of this Florida State football team and trying to get them back on track. But that being said, the product on the field is definitely, Evan, not something that has been living up to Florida State standards, as you mentioned with the missing out on the bowl game and the first losing season. These are things that haven't happened at Florida State in 30 years. And speaking of the not living up to expectations, UCLA football is much, is must-watch train wreck TV. Chip Kelly is three and 12 in 15 games under UCLA. And remember like UCLA wasn't the only guy that wanted him. There was a bidding war between the Florida Gators and the UCLA Bruins. UCLA eventually won out. (laughs) Boy, the Gators are glad that it worked out that way. It did. (laughs) It's gone. It's gone so bad that they had to give away tickets to season ticket holders to go to the Oklahoma game at the Rose bowl. Because they lost to Cincinnati, they lost to San Diego State, and then Oklahoma happened, and then Lincoln Riley right now is what Chip Kelly was 
10 years ago. And you wonder how much of Chip Kelly is just riding off of reputation and what he did in Oregon, what he did at Oregon in 2009, 2010. Like, what makes him different from what people are doing now? Because this was cutting edge 10 years ago, but now this is basic. Yeah, no, everybody that, does it. No, that's a good point. You know, let's look at his Oregon tenure. He was ten and three, twelve and one, twelve and two, and twelve and one. So he went forty six and seven at Oregon. He only had three conference losses the entire time he was there. Uh, they finished the year ranked eleventh, third, fourth, and second. Uh, they've and he and he won a Rose Bowl and a Fiesta Bowl. And you pointed it out. You know. What he was known for was that running, that run and shoot offense. They were running plays every, I think you know, every like twenty seconds. They're they're running a play, running a play, getting plays off, um, taking shots down the field, moving at just an absurdly quick rate. And then you you talk about it, he gets the gets the UCLA job in twenty eighteen after spending some time uh, in the NFL with the Eagles and with the Forty ers as well. And so he has a decent time in in Philadelphia. Uh, he goes, I think it's twenty six and twenty one. I think I looked up his record at Philadelphia. They lost in a wild card game, but he went ten and six, ten and six, and I think it was six and nine in his last year. So decent job there. San Francisco, he was two and fourteen. They obviously didn't, you know, didn't have the talent there. That's not that's something that's not all on him. But then he goes to UCLA, and when you take a job in the college ranks you've really got to be all in on you know it's it's a totally different world you've got to be all in on recruiting you've got to be all in on you know massaging the boosters you've got to be all in on being able to commit time and effort to those things and Chip Kelly doesn't has never really struck me as that kind of guy. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he's an excellent offensive mind, an excellent X's and O's guy, uh, as we saw with the system that he was able to take college football with by storm just a handful of years ago and had some success with it early on in the NFL. His time at UCLA, 3-9 and nine last year, 3-6 uh, and six in conference. I mean, that, I mean, it. I know it's tough for UCLA in the Pac-12, but that just can't happen. Out to an 0 and 3 start this year. That's 3 and 12. You just can't do that. He was brought in to conceivably, you know, restore the battle in LA. Like we want UCLA to be on the same footing as USC, which I I don't think that's ever going to happen. It's it's sort of like the Lakers and Clippers. Like the Los Angeles Clippers could go 69 and 13 and win the NBA title is still going to be a Lakers town. Like remember when like the White Sox won the world series in 2005 and nobody in Chicago cared because it's a Cubs town and it always will be. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And then, and then we can transition here to the USC Trojans because this is another team with a head coach like Chip Kelly, who is on the hot seat. This is a team that just lost to BYU in overtime. Now they lost their their uh, starting quarterback for the year, so it's um, Kelly Slovis who is the starter for the USC Trojans at quarterback. Uh, so, or, or uh, Kedden Slovis, excuse me. Uh, 
a true freshman at quarterback. So we know things are going to be bumpy on the field because they have a freshman quarterback starting. But, Evan, this is another program that has really slid in the ranks. Uh, we thought that this would be a good year with JT Daniels at the helm. Daniels goes down to injury. Slovis takes over. We've seen him be great. We've seen him be a freshman. This is another situation where I don't see how Clay Helton can survive this year at USC. Well, he's not going to because the really the only one in the administration that went to bat for him and could theoretically, you know, take the arrows for him, Lynn Swan, the athletic director, is no longer there. So he has no allies left in he has no allies left in that uh, that office uh, when it comes to the president and the new AD is going to want to bring in his new head coach. And there's a report coming out that the USC president has no interest in Urban Meyer. So take that for what you will. Uh, but the next three games for USC are all against ranked teams. They are they have home. They're home on Friday against number 10 Utah. And then Saturday the 28th, they're on the road against number 22 Washington and then a bye week October 12th 6:30 Notre Dame in South Bend there there's a chance they they could lose all three of those games oh absolutely and then you kind of project forward i mean you have you get Oregon at home you have to go to Arizona State they're ranked you have to go to Cal they're ranked i mean this is a brutal schedule for the USC Trojans and I don't know if this is a situation that Clay Helton can survive. Certainly, Brian. Uh, certainly, Chip Kelly is uh, on the hot seat as well at UCLA. Uh, I would think Willie Taggart's uh, Willie Taggart's seat is starting to boil a little bit. You've got a, a a handful of of really blue blood college football programs that are kind of struggling to. Uh, kind of struggling to find their way. Some teams that aren't struggling to find their way, the top 10 teams in the country. Evan, we've only seen three games, but I think I've seen enough to pick the four teams that I believe are going to play for the college football playoff. Really? You're, you're calling it right now yeah. in mid-September? Yeah, why not? Mid-September, uh, I'm going to take the top 10 teams. Uh, I, looking down past the top 10, I didn't see anyone that I thought could jump up there. So it's mid-September. Um, I'm going to have a little fun. I'm going to give you the four teams that are going to play in the college football playoff. Uh, we will start down at number 10 and move up. The Utah Utes, they are not going to make it. Uh, and you and I were talking before we started, this is a really, really good football team. I just don't think they're going to be able to have enough quality wins to really jump themselves up there. Frankly, I just don't think people are going to take them seriously. This is a really good football team, but I think they're going to struggle f with some UCF, with some people think they don't play anybody, and people don't give them the respect that they deserve. Because they're a good football team. And also uh, a little bit of a local Waldorf ties. Uh, their quarterback, Huntley, his brother, is a wide receiver on the Waldorf football team right now. Well, look at that. That's a great tie-in. That's Sam Huntley, right? Uh, yeah, I believe. I yeah. believe that's his first yeah, name. Yeah, that's all. That, that's awesome. Uh, okay, but so U Utah's probably going to win the the Pac-12 because the only team close the only team close to them in rankings is Oregon, all the way down at number sixteen. Uh, after that, you've got 
Washington, Cal, and Arizona State, but the well, Washington State is also there, but those are ranked 19, 22, 23, 24. So as it stands right now, uh, Utah is firmly in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Oregon's going to be there. The reason they're ranked so low is because they had that early loss to Auburn. I think they're going to rattle some off and be able to uh, jump back up there. But I, I do think Utah's a good team. I don't think they're going to get enough love. Florida is the number nine team in the AP Top 25. And, and full disclosure here, I did take the top 10 from the uh, AP Top 25. Florida losing Felipe Franks. I think that kills them. Franks has put together a really nice stretch, uh, had put together a really nice stretch of games before going down with his, uh, with with his injury. And so I just, you know, with Kyle Trask in there, I just don't think Florida is going to to have enough time to get all of that chemistry and everything figured out to be able to compete. It's a team that I thought could be, could be kind of kind of right on that cusp coming into the year uh, with Dan Mullen uh, with that defense. But losing Felipe Franks, Evan, I, I just think that's going to be too big of a hill to climb for them. And you know that replay of the injury was bad when on the broadcast they apologized to the viewers for showing their the replay. Like, that's when you know it's bad, when the broadcasters see it. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, yeah, sorry we showed you that. But how about uh, Florida shutting out Kentucky after uh, – after Franks went down, when Kentucky was firmly on upset alert, yeah, was scored nine, uh, nineteen straight, nine, rattled off nineteen unanswered. I think they're going to be okay with Trask. I just don't, you know, I, I think that's going to be very difficult for them to overcome to vault themselves up there. Auburn freshman Bo Nix is fantastic. They're ranked number eight. I think, you know, unfortunately for them, the SEC is loaded. Notre Dame is ranked seventh. I have them close. Uh, I, I'm a big Ian Book fan. I'm a big fan of Jafar Armstrong, the running back. I just don't think they're as dynamic from a playmaker perspective as they have been in years past. I think they have graduated a ton of those guys in the last couple of years. This is still a really good Notre Dame football team. but And Evan, I don't know how you feel about them, but I, I just don't think they're as dynamic as they have been to be able to put themselves in playoff conversation. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, Ian Book is a lot better of a quarterback than uh, Wimbush that they had last year. I think he just fits the personnel more. I'm not saying that Wimbush is bad because he's doing quite well down in Central Florida. But Notre Dame is famous for having good wide receivers. They've had Golden Tate. Michael Floyd, uh, their top wide receiver last year, Boykin, is on the Ravens. Uh, who's th- who's their top wide receiver? That that Claypool kid? I, I don't know. Who's Notre Dame going to throw the ball to that you know that Ian Book's going to throw for 250 yards and 120 of them are going are going to go to this one guy? Yeah, no, that's a great point, and I think the the playmaking out wide is going to be something that holds this Notre Dame team back. Uh, I still think they're a good team. I just think they're going to be on the outside looking in. The Ohio State Buckeyes. This is a team that I have as oh so close, but finding themselves on the outside looking in. Uh, This is an extremely talented team with Justin Fields at quarterback, one of the best running backs in the country, J.K. Dobbins. Evan, for me personally, there's too much strength in the SEC this year. I don't see Ohio State getting in. 
three weeks in. <laughs> what say you? I think that it is a long season and a lot can happen, but just looking at Ohio State's schedule, I don't know when they're going to be tested. Their next three games are Miami of Ohio, Nebraska, and Michigan State. Like They don't play a team that's currently ranked in the top 25 right now until October 26th when, they, when they're at home against Wisconsin. Like I, The Big Ten, I mean, growing up in Big Ten country when we're around, like, you know, Iowa and, you know, some Big 12 for Iowa State. Like, you've been here. You know what the region's like. Uh, I just don't know who's going to challenge them in the Big Ten outside of maybe Wisconsin or maybe Michigan, but Michigan needed overtime to beat army a couple weeks ago it, it it's just a long season and who knows there might be that game where northwestern just pops up and wins the game out of nowhere like th- these things happen in college football i think it's way too early for you to just put a fork in the season and saying the rest of the season is already settled ohio state and i'm glad you mentioned the schedule and you talk about Northwestern as well. Ohio State does have to go to Northwestern. That could be a tough one. Ohio State has chances late in the year. They're gonna the the last game of the year is uh, regular season game of the year is Michigan at Michigan. They host Penn State. Those teams are both ranked in the top fifteen in the country or top thirteen in the country. Uh, and then they have Wisconsin. So they have Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, Penn State, Michigan. There is a major chance for Ohio State to be able to. Um, to be able to impress late in the year playing quality teams. For their sake, I think they need to hope that those teams are all still ranked because, for me, the SEC is absolutely loaded this year. At number five is Oklahoma. I have them in the college football playoff. Now, Jalen Hurts is their quarterback. He is setting all kinds of all kinds of records uh, for the Big 12, for the NCAA. Um, Evan, he... Could he be the latest quarterback to play his way into the top spot of the NFL draft? I feel like he got absolutely no love for potentially moving on to the next level. And as Lincoln Riley does, all of a sudden he looks like an NFL quarterback. He, he might. He might. It depends on how firmly guys like Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa are on the draft boards. But if he keeps doing what he's doing, come – February around combine time I'm sure that there's going to be some quiet you know Jalen Hurts uh, he's rising up the draft boards talk kind of in the same way where we didn't know whether Kyler Murray was going to go to the Oakland A's or go to the NFL which just kind of seemed like a nonsense story like I don't I don't think that there was a universe where Kyler Murray chose the Oakland A's over going to the NFL Uh, there's just too much money at stake Plus, uh, there's no guarantee that Kyler Murray is going to start in the major league roster. He might have been in the minors until 2021, 2022. So if I, so it's either, hmm, I can be on a bus in some small town over playing like the Fresno Grizzlies on Thursday night. It's Hawaiian shirt bobblehead day. <laughs> or, or I could be the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I don't think it required a lot of arm twisting on the part of Kyler Murray, but Jalen Hurts was the guy that he started that national championship game against uh, the Georgia Bulldogs before Tua came in and 
saved Nick Saban's bacon in that game. And remember when uh, I can't remember if it was dad or his uncle said that Jalen Hurts is going to be the biggest college free agent ever. And we just laughed at him. It's like, oh, gee, OK, yeah, whatever. Like, I think that guy was right. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And if you. Yeah, every I, no, I totally agree. Everyone wanted Jalen Hurts. I don't know how much of the games you've watched, but he is he's improved as a passer. I I I think we undersold his ability to run the football just because I think we're seeing more of that with Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley putting him in situations to run the football. Now, he can't continue to be their leading rusher. That that can't happen. Uh I don't think that's a recipe for success, but he's improved as a passer. He's improved his accuracy. Uh, they've got a ton of weapons at Oklahoma. If they can play any defense, this Oklahoma Sooner, which I think they will, this Oklahoma Sooners team is going to play for the college football playoff. Uh, LSU is number four. I think they're in. Evan, this LSU team, all of a sudden, they can put up some points. I feel like this has been grinded out football. Coach O was on, you know, was like on the hot seat last year. And now all of a sudden they look like they could challenge Clemson or Alabama as one of the better teams in the country. And uh, a lot of that has to go to the play of my favorite current college quarterback, Joe Burrow. I think that Texas was a coming out party for him. That that Texas game at Ed Ogeron is showing that that was a good, that was a good choice. Uh, they've got a couple of they got a couple of relatively easy games coming up. They're at Vanderbilt, and then they have Utah State before going against number nine Florida on October twelfth. You know th- that Alabama game, like they well, first they got to get through Auburn on October twenty sixth. But November 9th at Alabama, if they're still in the top five, that could be a that could be a quasi playoff game right there where the winner has a much stronger case to get in. But I say that, but I think it was Alabama a couple years ago, lost to Georgia, but then Alabama just got in anyway, or they just wound up meeting in the playoffs. So it's hard to tell, but if those two teams stay within the top five on November 9th, that might be one of the biggest games of the year. Oh, absolutely. I, I think what's going to help at LSU, Florida, they get that game at home. Auburn, they get the game at home. Now they have to go to Alabama, but then they get Texas A&M in the last game of the year at home. So they get some of those tougher games against ranked opponents late in the season. They get those at home, which I think is a big advantage for LSU. I like them to get in. Georgia is at number three, and this is a this is a team that I, I – I have them on the outside looking in. I don't think the Georgia Bulldogs are going to get there. Now, that being said, they are extremely dynamic on offense. They have a great offensive line. It's a great defense. This is a really, really good football team. There's, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I don't really have, I guess, a good enough read on them. I, I like some other teams better. But this is a Georgia football team that is really, really good and playing really, really good football. Uh, what's your opinion on Jake Fromm? I think he's uh, he's an excellent quarterback. Is he? Do you think that he's high draft picked good, or is he kind of relegated in like, even though he's significantly more talented than him, 
uh, do you think he's going to be more of like the Aaron Murray type where he's just a mid-round pick that just never sticks? Or is I like is he... I like him as a quarterback. I do think he's a mid-round guy. I won't say he won't stick. I think he's got some things that can help him at the next level. But I, I So I won't say I don't think he can stick, but I, just, I don't think it's going to be one of those things where, I mean, you're going to have Tua, Burrow, uh, Herbert, uh, you, you know, you're, there's going to, I think there's just going to be too many names ahead of him for him to be a super high draft pick, but I do like him and he's going to have a chance to prove himself, uh, on a big stage at home against Notre Dame. Uh, that's coming up this weekend on Saturday. This is a really good team. They have Florida left to play Auburn left to play. Both of those games are on the road. They do get Texas tech at home, but I, I think having, those two road games, Notre Dame is a chance for a big win, but they've really got to win those other two, in my opinion, for them to be able to uh, rise up and get into the college football playoff. Clemson and Alabama, they're both going to be in. I think they could both lose a game and both still get in. I think we think uh, uh, that they are clearly the number one and number two teams in the country, at least in my opinion. Maybe, maybe you think differently. It's almost impossible to not. <laughs> I was going to say to not agree with you, but I'm looking at this Clemson schedule. Who's the team that beats them? No, nobody. I mean, it's a bad schedule in terms of they strength play, of schedule. They play the Charlotte 49ers, which have only been a team for about six years, and then they're at North Carolina, home against Florida State, at Louisville, and then back-to-back home games against Boston College and Wofford which I think that's an, I, I have no idea where Wofford is. Fox in South and then, Carolina. And then it's North Carolina state at North Carolina state and then wake forest. And then at South Carolina, who beats this team? Nobody. I think they, this is I think of, they run the table. This is kind of like Cody. Are you a pro wrestling guy? I'm not a pro wrestling guy. Much Remember, to the dismay of a lot of people, I, I it's not something I follow. I know you are. Uh, yeah, I, I've had my moments. But you know when you watch like those old school pro wrestling and like they would get these jobbers for TV where it looks like they pulled them out of middle school gym class and oh, they're yeah. fighting against prof- – Yeah, it's kind of like that with their – with this schedule. The ACC outside of Clemson isn't really that good. And I just don't know how Clemson loses unless, like, Trevor Lawrence gets food poisoning Friday night and can't play a game on Saturday. That's maybe the only way. But then they have arguably the best running back in college football with Travis Etienne. I don't know how you feel about him, but if we were having the NFL draft, he would probably be the number one running back taken. Oh, if he uh, continues just, to do his thing, I mean, he's going to get major draft buzz and, and potential Heisman buzz. I mean, they're just loaded. Alabama might might lose a game because they've still got, you know, the Iron Bowl against Auburn. They've still got LSU. So Auburn well, – Auburn's – Alabama's road is a lot more treacherous than Clemson's. But I think we can pretty much put those two – in maybe not pen, but like permanent marker. Oh, absolutely. And not, and not absolutely. like the per, and not like the permanent marker, like the marker that 
you write on the whiteboard that you find out afterward you're not supposed to write on the whiteboard with. <laughs> wait, so that you was can't a Sharpie, not it. dry erase. It's like, wait, that was a Sharpie, not dry. Yeah, you can put it. Like, they are as permanent as Sharpie on a whiteboard at this point. There we go. I got Clemson, Bama, LSU, Oklahoma. I have them in that order right now, but that's going to be the four teams to make the college football playoff. We're three games in. I don't know why I decided that I think that those are the four teams that are going to get in, but after watching uh, the first three weeks, and uh, that's what I came up with. So those are the those are the four teams that I think are going to make the college football playoff. Clemson, Bama, LSU, Oklahoma. Evan thinks I'm crazy for doing that segment three games in, but uh, here we are, and here those four teams are. Evan, which game are you watching this weekend? Uh, if you had to pick one, I'm assuming I'm assuming you're down to Georgia, Notre Dame, Michigan, Wisconsin. Or are you going somewhere else? Uh, no, I'm going Michigan, Wisconsin because I don't know if this is getting talked about all that much, but this might be it for Jim Harbaugh. If Harbaugh, especially if he can't be if he can't beat Ohio State this year. This might be it for Harbaugh, but Wisconsin is not a slouch team. They've got Jonathan Taylor. They've got Jonathan Taylor, who is one of the best running backs in in the country, going into Camp Randall, which is always a tough place to win. Uh, Wisconsin is uh, minus three and a half going into that game. Uh, Cody, do you think that if Michigan doesn't see drastic turnaround like 10 and one regular season or something like that, that this could be it for Jim Harbaugh. Yes. I do think it could be it for Jim Harbaugh. Do I think it should be it? I'll say who's the guy, who's the guy you're bringing in. That's going to, that's going to be that much better would be my argument there. But I do think that he is on the hot seat. He wouldn't be on the hot seat for me, but I, there are going to be people calling for his job. If this is not, uh, a, a playoff caliber year for them. Yes, I, I agree with you there that I think he is in trouble. I don't. I would say who are you going to get to replace him? Is my counter argument there, but I do think uh, they could be in trouble if things go sideways uh, for Mr. Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, I I'm watching that game as well. Uh, I really like Wisconsin. Uh, kind of a shame that's a noon game. I mean, you know, a ton of people will be watching it anyway. Uh, Notre Dame, Georgia is the the big game, uh, the big night game. But, yeah, that Michigan-Wisconsin game should be a heck of a contest. All right, let's transition into National Football League talk. Evan, this has been one of the most odd couple of weeks to start an NFL season that I can remember, um, particularly at the quarterback position. Most recently, you have Big Ben – uh, ben Roethlisberger is out for the season. Drew Brees is out for six weeks. Brees with a thumb injury. Ben with an elbow injury. Cam Newton is banged up and probably not going to play this week. He re-aggravated a preseason uh, foot injury from the third week of the preseason. Eli Manning was benched for Daniel Jones. Sam Darnold is banged up. Coming into the year, I feel like most every team in the NFL felt pretty good about where they stood at quarterback. Is that still true after all these things have happened? What 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 do you think there? Um, no, I, I don't know if that's true. I I think thirty one of the thirty two teams felt good about it. The only team that didn't was Tampa Bay, which we've 
previously covered. Uh, interesting decision for Sean Payton as they've decided that they're not going to name a starter, that they're just going to approach this game with two quarterbacks with Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. But I am going to try to do the best I can if you're a New Orleans Saints or Pittsburgh Steelers fan to make you feel maybe not good, but <laughs> slightly less apocalyptic about this. And it's, there is a real possibility much more so with Breeze than big Ben that 2019 was going to be their last year. Drew Breeze is 40 years old. Ben Roethlisberger is 37. And if you are a new Orleans saints fan, you brought Teddy Bridgewater back because Bridgewater almost went to Miami and oh boy, can we talk about what a disaster that would have been for Bridgewater if he went to Miami? But yeah, he we, could have I, he could have had the starting job in Miami. He said, "No thanks. I'm going to stay and be the backup to Drew Brees and now he's going to get six games a run here." Yep, good call. Good call. Uh yeah, they don't they're not going to pay me enough to put up with that misery. Uh but you get six games to assuming he misses all six to get a look at Bridgewater and Taysom Hill and decide, okay, if Drew Brees retires at the end of the year, like he might because his contract is up, then do we have the next guy in Bridgewater or Taysom Hill? Do we have to draft a guy? And if we draft a guy, do we have to trade up for him? Do we have to go in free agency and get a guy? Uh, For Pittsburgh, uh, Big Ben's probably going to come back because I think that he's the, well, they just gave him an extension, so I don't think he's going to walk away from that. But we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the Minka Fitzpatrick trade earlier. But that trading a first round pick is especially bold, considering that there is a real chance that that pick lands in the top fifteen. And if Pittsburgh Steelers fans miss out on getting someone like a Justin Herbert or a Jake Fromm or whatever quarterback is sitting there at, let's say, pick number twelve. Ooh, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. That that's a good point. Uh, let's let's talk about that real quick. Um, that Pittsburgh Steelers deal, I think Pittsburgh's done in terms of competing for the playoffs. Now, I think they have a ton of, uh, and I don't think that's too much of a reach with Mason Rudolph coming in. Now, I think they have a ton of faith in Rudolph, and I I I believe that they think he's going to surprise some people. Now. You gave up a lot to get Minka Fitzpatrick in terms of the first-round pick. Now, I understand that, and especially from the franchise perspective, we rarely see Pittsburgh give up a number one. Now, I do think that move makes a little more sense just from a personnel standpoint. Let's throw out whether you think they're going to compete this year, whether you think that they should have, when Big Ben goes down, they shouldn't have traded that first-round pick. Sean Davis is their regular safety, the the starter there. He's been hurt with a shoulder injury. He's on injured reserve. He's a free agent as well, and, and they're probably not going to bring him back. So this is a position of need, and they got younger. They got his replacement in Minka Fitzpatrick, a very, very dynamic guy on the back end of the defense. It's still odd for the franchise to give up the number one pick to bring him in, But, Evan, I I think this was a good move for them to fill a position of need, to get some depth back there, and to recognize that we may have given up a number one, but we're going to to need to be a lot better defensively if we are going to 
be successful with Big Ben or Mason Rudolph. We've got to get better on that side of the ball to help out our young quarterback. And especially when they've considered, especially when you consider that they've spent a lot of draft capital on the secondary that hasn't panned out, uh, like Artie Burns, for example. But I don't understand what the Miami Dolphins are doing. Like, it, if you were, and at this point it's obvious that they can say they're not tanking all they want, but at this point it's obvious. But if you were really going to strip the roster down like they are, wouldn't Minka Fitzpatrick be one of the few guys I would go out of my way to try and keep? Like, I don't, I don't get why you're trading him if you're Miami. I mean, yes, you got a first-round pick, but the guy who presumably is going to be making that first round pick just drafted this guy in the first round, what, 15 months ago. So now he's going to draft another guy. And that guy is hopefully going to be as good as Minka Fitzpatrick, who you just traded. I, I just don't get it from the Miami perspective, but will the last Dolphins player, please shut off the lights on your way out. Cause it is, <laughs> it, it is, it is brutal. Oh, it's brutal down there. They, I don't think there's there's a right there's like there I guess there's a right way to tank. Miami's doing it in terms of they're going to get the number 1 draft pick. They're they're it they're going to struggle to win a single game. So they're going to get the top pick. They're acquiring assets and you talked about uh you talked about the draft picks. In the 2020 draft, here's a rundown of what they have. In the 2020 draft, they have their own first rounder, a Texans first rounder and the Steelers first rounder. That Steelers first rounder could be pretty good. If Houston's offensive line continues to let Deshaun Watson get destroyed on a weekly basis, maybe they're not as good. Maybe that's a decent pick as well. In the second round of this upcoming draft, they have their own and a Saints. They have their own and a compensatory in the third. They have the Titans pick in the fourth, the Steelers pick in the fifth, their own pick in the sixth, and their own pick and the Chiefs pick in the seventh round. That's just of this year. Then you look at the 2020 draft. Then you look at the 2021 draft. Thank you, Laramie Tunsil. They have their own and a Texans first, their own and a Texans second. Then they have their own third, their own fourth, their own fifth, the Steelers sixth, and no pick in the seventh round of 2021. That was in the Minka Fitzpatrick deal. So they have a ton of draft capital. They are very, very bad and are going to get the number one draft pick this year as part of their whole Tankapalooza thing. They have, I believe they're going to have roughly $160 million in cap space with those draft assets. But Evan, it comes down to hitting these draft picks because we've seen teams time and time again be able to be able to acquire all these assets. It does not necessarily mean that all of those assets then hit. I mean, it's still there's still the element of a crapshoot there. And so Miami fans, I think, you know, they've already written off this year. You know it's going to be, you know it's a lost season. But, boy, the pressure is really on that front office to make the right moves with all of these, uh, with all of these assets they're, they're, they're bringing in. Well, here are the last two teams that had three first-round picks. The 2017 Browns, who famously went 0-16, <laughs> and this year's New York Giants, which, lull. Um, it's, 
it's bad in in Miami. The only thing they have going for them are those throwbacks. Oh, those are that's nice. The, like that's the only thing they have going for them. But I'm opposed to tanking on every conceivable level, mostly just because it's just wrong to ask these guys to put their bodies and their careers on the line for management that has no desire to win. And there's no, there's no way honorably to do this because those guys still have to go out there and they still have to play. And at the end of the day, those players and Brian Flores are going to have to answer for whatever record they accumulate sort right. of like the sort of like the 76ers with and, uh Sam Hinkie. And they're like, and, and it's not like they're not I'm not trying. Those players, the Brian Flores at the helm, those play they're going out there and playing football and trying to win. It's not the players and the coaches fault that management has sent every conceivable talented player and jettisoned them away for future draft picks. Uh, I saw a meme on Twitter where they they did like a fake thing where like Kenyon Drake ran for 120 yards and two touchdowns so the, the so the Dolphins just cut him. <laughs> like he like he's too talented. Like he ran for 120 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, we released him. He's too good. There, it's an absolute mess in Miami. Do you think they win a game? Or are they going to go 0 16? I think you are far more likely to get people to actually storm Area 51 on the 20th than the Miami Dolphins are to win a game. They are 21 and a half point underdogs against the Dallas Cowboys this Sunday. 28 and a half. Like this is so bad that Vegas odd ma- odds makers don't know where to set a line. He said that it's like I'm looking at the first weekend of college football. Yeah, like, these are it, these it, are lines that you get when like Alabama's playing Texas Southern. <laughs> like this is an NFL team. Like there was a buddy Ryan famously said, there are no East Carolinas in the NFL. Well, there's one now and it's (laughs) It's, in Miami. It's the Miami dolphins. They have a ton of draft capital. They have a ton of money to spend, but they're going to have to do it right. Uh, They looks like they hit the Minka Fitzpatrick draft pick traded him away. I think Laramie Tunsil was a pick that they hit on a guy that, was just beginning to kind of hit his stride, and I think big things are ahead for Laramie Tunsil. They shipped him out of town. Now, these are all guys that have trade value because of their talent, but you also need talent to rebuild a team. So uh, time is going to tell what happens with the Miami Dolphins. Evan thinks uh, a storming of Area 51 is going to happen before Miami wins a game. I'm hard-pressed to find a win for the Dolphins on that schedule. Uh, tank the the tank for Tua Palooza is in full swing. Evan Jalen Ramsey wants out of Jacksonville. You wouldn't trade him. I think they should trade him. No, I I don't think they should. Although all signs are pointing from Jacksonville management that they're not going to bend over backwards to keep him because he wanted an extension. Tom Coughlin and the Jaguars said no. And it looks like they're going to trade him. But my position for not trading him is if Jalen Ramsey is not your best player, he's certainly your most high profile. And what message does that send to the fans in the locker room when Jalen Ramsey is on all of your promotional material? He's the most popular player in Jacksonville. He spent his entire career, high school, college and pro in Florida, went to Florida State. And 
what what are you going to get back for it? Okay, let's say he goes to Kansas City and they get a first round pick. Okay, congratulations, you have the thirty first or thirty second <laughs> pick. Like, what wh- what's that going to get you? I I just think Jacksonville is they would be smart to just play hardball and just say no. He 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 said he wants a trade, but that doesn't mean we're going to trade him. Sorry, he he's not available. Like I I just I'm just not going to trade him. That's fair. I I would trade him. Now, it does depend on what you're getting. There were reports that Miami was offered a first and a fifth. There were reports that Miami was or uh, that Jacksonville, excuse me, was offered a first and a fifth and offered a first and another player. Uh I guess they're looking for that second first round pick. I mean, OBJ I think only got one first round draft pick back in that deal. So I think one first-round draft pick is what you're going to get for Jalen Ramsey. I would trade him. He doesn't want to be there. You've gotten the best out of Jalen Ramsey in terms of – I know he's still a a relatively young guy, but I don't know exactly how much ridiculously high-level football – I mean, he's only been in the league for a few years, but we've seen guys fall off. We've seen – guys who come out of nowhere and are successful at the defensive back position. I think you've gotten his best couple of years, his best three years. If you can get a first-round pick for him, go ahead and get it. I, I, I just, I, If the guy doesn't want to be there, we're probably not going to pay him anyway, and we've gotten his, his, his three really good years. Why are we not shipping him out of town? I, I, for me, if he doesn't want to be there, and we don't have to pay him, and I can get a draft pick back, it's a no-brainer for me. And especially after that spat with – did you see that sideline spat with Doug Marone where it got to the point where Jalen Ramsey's own teammates were shooing the coach away? So it must have gotten real personal on that level. So Jalen Ramsey, he turns 25 on October 24th. He was taken number five overall in 2016. Uh, He was the pick – after Ezekiel Elliott, I just, I just don't know what message that would send to the team. Cause at that point you're just admitting that, yeah, 2017 was a one-off and that's never going to happen again. And they, they didn't pick up his, then they picked up his fifth year option, but it seems unlikely that they're going to have an extension. So, I mean, the more I think about it and judging by the reaction from the Jaguars was he's gonna this is gonna be his last year here anyway so why not get something for him instead of just letting him walk but who who would you trade him to because I know because the old logic is oh you just trade him out of you don't want to trade him within the AFC which I think is stupid because if someone in the AFC is offering you the best deal I don't see why I would say no to that just because I don't want him in Kansas City or Oakland or wherever. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think Kansas City, Seattle, Dallas, the Rams, you're going to have some of those type of teams that are that are are right in the thick of it and are looking to separate themselves. Those are all pretty solid cultures as well. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, a pretty outspoken guy. So I think some of those different landing spots – teams that are contending would uh, be a nice fit for Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Week two reactions, 
Evan, with Big Ben going down, I mean, it sure is uh, the Chargers lost to the Lions. It sure looks like a two-horse race in the AFC to me, Pats and the Chiefs. What say you? Uh, if there is a third horse, it is uh, they. It is so far back that they had to zoom all the way out <laughs> to show that there even is a third horse on on the track. Uh, I'm still, I still believe in the Indianapolis Colts. I'm still a believer. You do. And in, in I mean, not to win like. I mean, they'll get to the playoffs, but if it's between them and Kansas City, I think Kansas City is going to win. But is it wrong of me to say that I kind of like Buffalo? I, that was one of my things. You, so, do you think they're? Do you think this is a real start for them? They've got some refi- well, consi- weapons. Well, considering that for a good chunk of last year, they had statistically speaking the worst offense of all time, and for the first eight weeks, Todd Gurley had more points on his own <laughs> than the entire Buffalo Bills team. I'm buying it. But to be fair, you have the New York Jets, whose quarterback apparently is a 16-year-old boy. Uh, he, he got mono. Uh, Trevor Simeon broke his ankle, and Luke Falk went, was on a practice squ- Like He had never dressed for an NFL game except until Monday night. So His last competitive pass was 2017. For Washington State. Exactly, and then, uh, in college. His, and his replacement, Gardner Minshew, uh, has the world's greatest mustache. I think I really like Buffalo. They've got something going with Josh Allen and Cole Beasley. But to be fair, they beat the Jets and the New York Giants. How much can we really gain from beating the Jets and the Giants? Because the, the Jets' whole offseason has just been bad from the uniforms, which, uh, especially the black uniforms, I am... I am not feeling it. Uh, they had the most cap space. They spent a whole bunch of money in free agency. And then they fired the GM because Adam Gaze, the coach, didn't want any of the guys that they got in free agency, <laughs> which is bold. And the New York Giants just now benched Eli Manning. And now Eli Manning is getting like the glowing hero send off. Like, oh, you know, it's he's he's a legend and he's earned is like, no, no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. Like that's. I, I do like what the Buffalo Bills are doing. Cole Beasley, Devin Singletary, John Brown. I, I think it's a real start from the perspective of. I do think this is a team that can be a, a 500 football team. They play good defense. Josh Allen has to not turn the ball over. If he can stop turning the ball over at the rate that he does. I do like this Buffalo Bills team. They haven't beat anybody. That's a great point. But I do think this is more of I, I Buffalo can be a solid team versus they're just beating up on bad teams. I think they're improved on offense. This is a team that's always usually very solid defensively. I don't think that's any different this year. So they're going to be in a lot of these close games, and, they're, and they've added some weapons on offense. They're going to be able to put up a few points. Is this a team that's going to challenge the Patriots? Absolutely not. Is this a team that can be much improved and is on the road to be much improved? Yes, I 100% uh, agree with that and, and think that the Buffalo Bills can really, really, uh, really take a big step this year. That was a big win for the Atlanta Falcons against Philly. Evan with Cam Newton going down, Drew Brees going down. This is a real chance for Atlanta to to take hold of the uh, of that division. 
It is. It is. Uh, do you think they Do you think they're gonna They're gonna get it? I I do think that the Falcons are going to be able to take advantage of this. Look, this is a team that you and I both like to make the playoffs. They were bit. They were bitten by the injury bug last year, uh, especially on the defensive side of the football in the secondary. They lost to the Vikings in a very uninspired performance to open the year, but then they beat the Eagles. They faced the Colts. I, I guess so. Here's the here's the six game stretch for them while Drew Brees is out for New Orleans. The Colts this week, the Titans, the Texans, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Seahawks. Three tough games in there, three games that they should win. If you can steal one of those others and go four and two, you take a, I think you could take a real stranglehold on this division because with Cam Newton out, Carolina's already 0-2. Who knows what that turns out to be. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I like Taysom Hill. But New Orleans, at best, is hoping for three and three in this potentially six games that Drew Brees is out. I think the Falcons are going to be able to take advantage of it. They they might they might uh, that performance against the Vikings was really uninspired. You know, it's not your day when the first drive of the when your when the first drive of your season ends in a blocked punt. Like that's that is that's not, it's not what you want, as Joe Girardi would say. T- tough day at the office. Yeah, but the at indie game is interesting because Jacoby Brissett has proven that he can play. Like you know, Jacoby Brissett's pr- proven that he can play, and the Colts have a good defense. I don't know about the secondary. I don't know if they have anyone that can stop Julio Jones. So if Julio Jones w- wanted to go for ten balls for two hundred yards, he probably could. They're good in the secondary, but nobody can stop Julio Jones. I mean, that's just you know, that's impossible, nearly impossible. And then it's at Houston, at Arizona. They'll probably beat Arizona. Uh, they, I'm gonna give that. I'm gonna give the October 20th game to the Rams. And then Seattle. Seattle's always a frisky team, and you don't really know what's gonna happen because anything can happen when you play Seattle. But it's this division at this point is Atlanta's for the taking, unless Teddy Bridgewater. Can somehow pull off like a five and one, four and two record with the New Orleans Saints. But speaking of New Orleans, that Sunday night game on the 29th against Dallas became infinitely more winnable for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, no doubt. I, that, with these quarterbacks going down, uh, I had I, I was just thinking about that. You know, there there's some major implications for TV networks with some of these games. That game. Uh, the 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 Steelers Chargers. There's a handful of these games, and you know NFL ratings uh, are you know. I think night viewing is a little bit down, but the afternoon numbers are are just astonishing. These quarterback injuries kind of always play a factor in that, and that's something that you mentioned the Dallas game forecasting forward. There's a handful of games that these networks have that they're they've got to be sitting back going, man. Why in the world these quarterbacks have to get hurt? That is really going to put a damper on these uh, these matchups. Well, that's why flex scheduling is a thing. And well, right, but you can't flex out of the Monday night game. You're stuck with no, that. No, no, yeah, you, you can't. Uh, speaking of the Monday night game, my God, that was embarrassing for the New York. Why Jets. is Baker Mayfield, after the weekend that quarterbacks had in the NFL, 
why is Baker Mayfield in the game throwing footballs with two minutes left against because, the Greg Williams defense? Why is that happening? Because, because Greg Williams talked all that shit and they just needed to stick it to him, I'm guessing. There's no need. I mean, maybe, but there's no need to. What if one of those guys comes off the edge and absolutely blasts him? He needs to be out of the game. They're up. Game is in hand. Maybe it's early in the year. You want to you want to stick it to Williams. You want to keep working on tempo. I got news for you. Cut your losses. Sit him down. And live to fight another week. I mean, I just, I I think there were just taking unnecessary chances there. Why in the world after the weekend that he had? I'm the coach. He's sitting on the bench. Good job, Baker. Nice performance. We got the win. We were supposed to get the win. With four minutes to go, you're out. Let's move on. I I think it's more of like a Tom Brady thing because Tom Brady famously hates it when he gets pulled. Like, even in the games where— I mean, I I would hate it. I I mean, I'm not saying that he wouldn't dislike it, but at that point, why— I mean, why not finish out the game? Like, what what value is it to bring in Garrett Gilbert to have him hand the ball off three times and punt the ball? Like, he's not throwing. You're up by 20 in the fourth quarter. I guess. I mean, he was throwing passes with two minutes to go. Sorry, you don't need to. There. What are you doing, dude? What what's going I on? Guess, if if I he gets there... if he gets hurt. They're getting destroyed, and I got news for you. Their season's over because Baker Mayfield is an extremely talented, extremely accurate quarterback. If he goes down, you're toast. So I just I just think you got to protect him. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't love to get pulled either. I would be vehemently against it, but, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not in on the – I'm not buying into the Cleveland Browns. I'm not jumping on the train. It was a good win for them. The Jets are inept. They were facing you and I at quarterback – the Browns were uh, good defensive player of the year pick by you, though. I think Miles Garrett. Holy cow, I missed on that one. He was an I, animal. Well, to be fair, he was playing against the New York Jets and, well, whatever was left of that team. <laughs> uh, I think part of it was we they just wanted to stick it to Greg Williams because Greg Williams made all those comments about Odell Beckham yeah, that's and a fair wanting, point. wanting the Browns job. It got so bad that the Jets actually had to scrub the clip from the team website. (laughs) And if Baker Mayfield does get hurt, your backup is what would have been if they finished the year AAF MVP Garrett Gilbert. You know it. Well, the Apollos, baby. Yeah. I I do miss some of those uniforms. Some of those uniforms were, were cool in the AAF. But can we talk about how excited we should be for the Baker Mayfield Jared Goff duel that we're going to get Sunday night. Yeah, that that should be uh that should be a good one. Look, I think this Cleveland Browns team is really talented. They still committed eight penalties in the game. This is a team that has to be more disciplined. This is a team that is absolutely loaded with talent. Uh Freddie Kitchens first year head coach. All of the ingredients are there for the Browns, but I just don't I'm just not ready to jump in on them as a lot of people were. Look, this is a this is a this is a team that won one game last year uh, late in the year against teams going to make the playoffs. Now they have the Ravens, the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Patriots coming up with the Rams. Their next 5 games are against teams that have not lost a game so far 
granted a small sample size, but the, the Rams, the Ravens, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Patriots have not lost. This is a make-or-break stretch for the Browns because the schedule gets much easier on the back end, but this is a stretch you have to be able to fight through. Evan pointed it out, Sunday night football, Rams and Browns. It's in Cleveland. That is a big game early on for them. Cleveland got destroyed by Tennessee to start the year. Righted the ship a little bit with a win, 23-3 over the Jets, and a big game coming up for the Cleveland Browns. Evan, I think that's going to be uh that's going to be just about it for us here on the second week of the podcast. Uh dropping some uh dropping some good stuff. Any any closing thoughts, any last words? Patrick Mahomes is amazing. Like that that, that that's all I have to say. <laughs> like that that second quarter, he threw for 278 yards and four touchdowns. Teams don't even do that. He did that in one quarter against the Raiders. Like, this guy's – we said that it was impossible for this guy to get better from last year, but I think he's better. Uh, I saw a stat. The fewest games to 200 passing touchdowns in the history of the NFL. Tom Brady, 116. Russell Wilson, 114. Brett Favre, 107. uh, Peyton Manning, 106. Aaron Rodgers, 99. Dan Marino, 89. If I can do math, Patrick Mahomes is on pace for 200 touchdowns in just over 65 games. The guy is ridiculous. He has 57 touchdowns right now, and he hasn't even played 20 games as a pro. We thought This This is Madden level stuff here. We thought he would take a little bit of a step back in terms of you're thinking this guy can't throw for 50 again. Well, he just might do it for the Kansas City Chiefs. Thank you all for tuning in uh, to the From the Booth podcast, second episode. We appreciate it. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, you can catch teasers, you can catch uh, different content that we drop on Twitter. To listen to the show, we're on a bunch of different platforms. Head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also find us on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on Podbean, basically anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're on a platform and you don't see us, let us know. Send us an email from the booth podcast, the number two at gmail.com. Give us a heads up and we'll do our best to get the podcast on that platform so you can enjoy. But you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean as well. Uh, If you'd like to send some topics in for the show, you want to weigh in on any discussions that we've had, email us, tweet us. Uh, We'd be happy to get you in. We'd be happy to respond to anything that you have to say. Uh, Give us a a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a comment uh, uh, as well about how you enjoy the show. Uh, Do us that favor. That really helps and you know, the algorithms and the rankings and all those different things for Apple Podcasts. But, um, Evan, I think that checks all my housekeeping boxes. I appreciate uh, you coming on for another episode, and I look forward to next week. Next week is going to be a fun week because we'll have thoughts on the four of the top quarterbacks. Four of the top young quarterbacks are are matching up. We're going to get Mahomes-Jackson 2 and then Baker Mayfield versus Jared Goff 
so excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good Sunday. Gonna be some big stuff. Gonna be a great weekend of sports. Gonna be a great weekend of football. Special thanks to my co-host Evan Eichen as usual. Shout out to our guy Tony Huynh for the awesome podcast artwork. Go check him out on Twitter at underscore Tony Huynh. That's at underscore T O N Y. H-U-Y-N-H. Shout out to him for his great designs. Check him out. And as always, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. We're right back here next week.